We are now going to have our final message of this beautiful Sabbath day by our pastor Steve Andrews entitled, Thy Word is a Lamp Unto My Feet. Shut my pants here. I think everybody can see this from out there, and maybe even on the internet. Um, the way it is right now, it would make a good cracker for cons, but that's not what it's designed for, is it? Um, I'm not going to blind all of you, because <laughs> this thing really will blind you. But this is a light, um, a flashlight to be exact. And everybody's familiar with a flashlight. I'm sure glad I didn't have to use that this morning, that the light stayed on. Uh, but I have used it several times underneath the house where it's very dark, very hard to see. So I, I was able to, you know, to use this flashlight to kind of keep myself um, out of the dark and in the light. And that's what the message is about today. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's see. And this light, I might move a little bit further on <laughs> so I can see. And when David or whoever, because there's no introduction to this one, Psalm 119, 105, that's the verse that it is, and that's the psalm. In that, Psalm, are many things about God's word, about his law, about all of the different things. And what David had at that time, and we all know that, was what is called the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in fact, if you go and look, Every king was supposed to write all of that down and have his own copy of those first five books. And so I think that you would probably say David was extremely familiar with what was written in these books. And that, that, it's interesting, I looked up the, the little word, the lamp, and I guess what they had, you might think of it as like a kind of an old, open Aladdin's lamp or something with a little oil in the, the bottom and a wick inside that they would light and that's how they would use that to, to get around. Well, the word is a light to us. And it's interesting that if you don't open the book, the light never shines on you, does it? If you, if you um, as, as one minister used to say, I've read the book from kiver to kiver. Well, you've got to open it. So those of you who've been around worldwide for a while will remember that one as an oldie. But that's the truth. The light shines from the word that comes out. And it directs and shines in your path. What I want to do is I want to show some things in the beginning here right in the book of, of, of Genesis. But let's, let's go to a couple of places before that. 
I want to I want to go to to some words here, both to Jesus's words and to Paul's words, especially what Jesus had to say about those. And let's go to Matthew the the fifth chapter. And I think it's extremely important to understand how Jesus looked at the word, because that's what he had. He studied it. He was a when he was even young. He went and li- and listened to those that were were teaching the word, and it was a part of him. And so he he says here in the scriptures, in verse eighteen and nineteen, for verily I say unto you, to heaven and earth pass. That's that's a long time. Uh, somebody was saying we might hit a another galaxy in about five billion years or something like that. I think that's what they were saying. But until heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall now wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So, and if you understand Hebrew and and how that is, those are little um, marks on the Hebrew language. And then he goes on to say this about that. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach, teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So especially in the, in the ministry, we, we try occasionally to go back and we, we want to remind everyone how important the, the law and, and, and what is written in the, in the Bible for each and every one of us and what Jesus says about that. So we also can see what Paul says. Sometimes Paul's writings are a little difficult, and so sometimes we can get a little bit confused. But if you go back to what Paul was telling two young, especially uh, a young um, minister by the name of Timothy, which he called one of his sons, and it's in Second Timothy, the the second and third chapter, there's, there's a couple of very interesting things that Paul is admonishing this young man. He says, study, in verse 15, study, this is chapter 2 of, of 2 Timothy, the second chapter, study to show yourselves, uh, yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, I mean, he had written letters and things like that, but when he was talking about that, he had to be talking about the, that which was available to, to Timothy, which was what we call the Old Testament. So he was telling him to study, to show yourselves approved to God. A workman. Well, it does take work, doesn't it, sometimes, to study the Bible. You have to open it. You have to, to, to look in it. You have to, to go through it. You have to really sometimes work to get those things out of the Bible. So he was admonishing. And Timothy was a young, young minister. And he even called him, in the beginning, he called him his son. He said, son in the spirit. But he says, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they increase uh, to more ungodliness. So focus on God's word. That's, that's what's important. God's word is is what's really important. Well, he goes on again, and, and this is a, tr- a tremendous chapter. I, I've been trying to work on these pastoral epistles. I want to 
give something one of these days, but it, it is, um, it, there's a lot to it, and I, the more I think about uh, starting on it, the more it, uh, it's a daunting task. But he says here in verse, um, he says in verse 14, I'm, I have, I think, by down 15, but I'd like to, but continue in the things which you have learned, verse 14, and, and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Well, he was holding what we call that Old Testament, and he, Paul called them the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation. Remember what that psalm says. It's a lamp. It lights our path. And that's word. Which we are able which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And some have have turned us around and said these are God breathed. Considering how many books there are and how difficult it would be to put all those books together into what we have today as the Holy Bible. And all of that that has come down, God was involved in all of that and putting that before each and every one of us. So, God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, in other words, may be mature, adequate, thoroughly furnished to all good works. So we have a, a, a book that will do all of that for us, and including the New Testament, of course. I'm not excluding that. I'm just helping us to, to, to grasp how important the whole of the Bible is. And sometimes it's a daunting task, isn't it, to, to go and start at the beginning and just go through and read and study. And I'm reminded of, of what Ian says sometimes about, uh, it's almost like smelling the roses in the Bible. <laughs> finding those little jewels that are in there, finding that stuff that says, oh, this is so wonderful. This is what God wants me to understand. In, in Genesis 1, I call this, and that's one another thing, you can, you can, have a, you can kind of have fun by taking each chapter and putting some kind of um, chapter heading. Some Bibles have it in there, some Bibles don't. Where that'll give you kind of an idea of what that chapter's about. I call this one the, the creation. God the creator. Because that's exactly what this first chapter is about. God the creator. And the first thing he says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. For those who may be seeking out how to approach different ones in the, in the world who might be more on the atheist, more on that side. I think it is really, there is so much out there now helping us to understand how God's creation is so unbelievably beautiful. We heard a little bit of it in the song that we just were talking about the heavens and how wonderful His creation is. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we know it became without form and void because He didn't create it 
in that condition. But I'm not going to go through that today. That's not my, my point. I want to pick out some really good things through this. And God formed uh, all of these things. He, let's, let's go over here. He said, let the earth bring forth, in verse 11, grass, the herb yielding seed, and fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. One of the things that's very difficult for the evolutionist to do, and they, they do do it, but can you imagine seeds coming out of the ocean or out of the slime? The diversity of plants, of herbs, of trees, of all the things that live, that, that thrive on this earth. And they all evolve from one seed? Come on, give me a break. How did they come about? How did the seeds and the herbs and all of the diverse things come about if there was not the original creator to create them and set them on this earth? I mean, it, you just think about it. Meditate on the things that are created, the things that are in the earth. You cannot, um, there is no way that you could see and have an evolutionary process to bring all the diversity of all those things to pass. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seeds after its kind, tree yielding fruit whose seeds was in itself after its kind, and God saw that it was good. You, you, look at, you go in and walk through a forest or you, you walk through an area where they have brought some things. Uh, we got a chance to go to Oregon one time and even God has a sense of humor about plants. We were walking across this bridge, and there are these things sitting out there with their mouth open. And they have these little tentacles on it, and all of a sudden a fly will come along and sit down in the inside of it, and it's gone. <laughs> That's so marvelous to watch that. And... The, uh, the garden we were in for these, uh, whatever, the, it had a bridge over the, so you had, had these plants on, on both sides, these, uh, these insect-eating plants. And they were big, not little tiny ones. You, you can buy them little dinky ones. These were about this big. You know, these uh, Rocky Horror Show or something like that, where it's... Uh, <laughs> where it's uh, <laughs> One of those running around trying to eat people. Uh, it kind of gives you a little bit of a thing. But God created that. He created it for a purpose, for a reason, and for us to enjoy. If you get a chance to go out and, and, and enjoy God's creation. And so the, that was the third day. Here in, in verse 14 is something I want to, want to flag. This is what I wanted to look at. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. When God created the earth and, and put all this together, and especially after he had to do the recreation and, and had to, to set everything and had to, to balance the earth and balance it with the moon and the, and the sun and all of that, he also created within that 
his, um, how do I want to put it? His perfect look at his very plan. The word season means moad. And if you go and look at that Hebrew word, moad means festivals, an appointed time. And so he set signs and for appointed times and for days and for years. It's kind of interesting how God was thinking and he already had these things planned out in the beginning all the way into that time, even into, into ours. He's, he's already looking into the future and knows. And so God the Creator has created this beautiful place that we live. He says, um, let's, let's turn over here to, chapter, uh, to verse 20 now. He says, let the, the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life, and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. God created great whales and living creatures that move, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after its kind. And God saw that it was good. I don't know how many have been watching uh, different things, but for whatever reason, and I don't know what the reason is, there's been all kinds of weird Creatures being washed up on the shore in different parts of the world. Some of the creatures, they were really having a little difficult time figuring out what in the world they were. One of them was so long, and I guess it had been so decomposed that it was just about uh, almost impossible to, to uh, identify as to what it was. But the ocean is still a vast area of that we do not completely and totally know all about it. The ocean is still an area in which God has created so many diverse fish and whales and sharks and different things that, that swim in the ocean. And the, uh, we were waiting for uh, Jane there at... Uh, I guess you'd call it a hospital. It's kind of a surgical hospital. And they had a really beautiful aquarium there. And there was several different types of fish and different, different things that were, were in there. And they are so beautiful to see that. And you can just bring that to, a, to life and, and put it in, even into an aquarium and, and watch that creation and watch how God has done it. He says, be fruitful, verse 22. And multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And they're continuing to do that, aren't they? The fowls and everything are continuing to multiply and, and God has created a, a way to reproduce and continue these things upon the earth. And God let the earth, and God said in verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures after its kind, cattle and creeping things, the beasts of the earth after its kind. I, it's very important that you flag that word, or after its kind, those words, after its kind. And remember, after its kind means that they reproduce. A cow reproduces a cow. And only if man starts tampering 
literally starts tampering with the DNA, does it change? Dogs are still dogs. Cats are still cats. And they do reproduce. I guarantee you cats do reproduce. <laughs> After their kind. <laughs> we have a few. And unfortunately, <laughs> they're still reproducing after their kind. God has created this to, per to perpetuate life. Life is perpetuated. Remember, this chapter is about the Creator. And He has done that. He has perpetuated life. He has perpetuated the trees and the grass and the herbs. He's perpetuated the animal life and the birds and all things that swim in the sea. And it's so beautiful. Because if you understand, and you're not brainwashed by evolutionary thinking or atheist thinking, which, you know, wow, get that away from me. I don't want to have anything to do with that. If you're not brainwashed by that, you, you really have a, an awe for the Creator and His creation. So God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle after his kind, everything that creeps upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, the God kind. <laughs> Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, what? <laughs> I'm created after what? But God had a great and wonderful purpose in his creation. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air, over the cattle, and all over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. I think having that dominion and, and, and understanding that we are created in the, after the God kind, and we do. I, I know for, we were talking about a little bit about Audubon, and how that all of his birds, you know, they were like this. Because he went out and killed one and stationed it on a limb and then painted it beautifully. And he got to realizing after he killed so many of these beautiful, beautiful birds that he felt bad about it and began not to kill the birds anymore. But if you look at those Audubon autographs, they are so beautiful. But really, what he did was the creation the birds and, and the, the variety of colors and all of the beautiful things that are about them. The fowl of the air, the cattle and all after their kind. And evolutionists have a hard time with the little bird that feeds with its crooked neck, crooked beak in the little flower. It's the only bird that feeds in that, in that flower and pollinates it. It's got the little crooked beak goes up in it and pollinates those flowers. And, of course, it gets the nectar out of there. But God created that little, little bird for that purpose. So God created man, too, in his own image. In the image of God created he, him. I even hate to write, read this. Male and female created he them. No babies there at all. God had a purpose to reproduce 
after his kind, and that's you and I. And he created males, and he created females. And God blessed them. God blessed his creation, his male and his female. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Man was given authority to take care of the planet that he lives on and to have dominion. God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree which is the fruit of the, uh, the tree yielding seed and to you shall it be for meat and every beast of the earth and every fowl of the earth and to everything that creeps upon the earth wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, what does God do on the seventh day? <laughs> Everybody in here knows what God did on the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day. After he spent six days putting all this together, God rested and ended his work which he had made. And he rested from all his work wherein he made. Now, okay, he rests. But he did something even more profound than just resting on that day. Because God blessed the seventh day. And if God blesses something, it's got to be special. He set it apart, because that's what sanctified means. He made it holy. It's a very special day. And sanctified it because in that he had... Rested from all his work which God had created and made. So the Sabbath has precedence. I, I want to start using this word precedence because there are so many things in these first few chapters of Genesis that sets the precedent for many other things that come along in the future. I think a lot of you are very much aware of that, but some may not be. The Sabbath is one of those things that was set, I want to say in stone, but it was, it was set by God and sanctified and set apart because God rested and he commands us to rest on that day. So he says, these are the generations of the heavens. Now, chapter 2, I, I thought about chapter 2. What, what would be a really good title? God, the loving provider. Or... God the loving Father. And when I said that, I thought, Ray Kerr and his song, how beautiful that song was. God the loving Father. God, uh, God is such a loving Father. God the provider. And the reason why I say this chapter, it, it's interesting how he, he develops this. So, he says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the earth and heavens. Every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had, caused it, had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But, the, uh, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He got down on his knees and he... And he 
formed man from the dust of the ground. Talk about something eternal (laughs) coming down and forming man. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. A good provider puts forth something, a a, a place, in the words of... um, in the olden days, I don't know about now, but in the olden days, uh, as we grew up as men, we would be taught that someday we would be responsible, if everything worked out, to have a wife, and if everything worked out, to have children. And so consequently, we begin to think, what am I going to do in my life so that I can have a wife and I can have children? so that I can raise these children in a home. And how am I going to do that? So I, I now understand that I had to become a provider, didn't I? I had, to, I had to go out and I had to get some kind of education. I had to, to do something um, uh, so that I would be acceptable to, to my wife. I don't know whether I am still that way or not, but at the time, I tried to show her that I was going to do things and that I was going to be acceptable and that I wanted to be her husband and I wanted to have children and I wanted to provide for her. I know in this modern society, some of that um, has gotten covered over, but God shows us that he was a good provider. He he already had, he formed man and then he planted a garden most beautiful place probably in all the world put it put this garden in and and then he planted this garden eastward in Eden and he put the man whom he informed and out of the ground uh, um, made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food and the tree of life also in the midst of garden garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and of course here here we have some some interesting things about this place where they were going to be living. The river, a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it was parted and became four heads. The name of the first was Pison, that is, which compasses the whole land of Havilah, uh, where there is gold. It's interesting that it mentions gold, the precious metal, gold. And the gold of that land is good, and bedelium, and onyx stone. I think God loves beautiful things. God loves uh, gold because he's going to have gold. We're going to be walking on gold streets. He he loves precious stones. They're going to be embedded in that beautiful home that he's going to bring down from from heaven. And the name of the second river is Gihon. And the same compasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hiddekel. that is which it goes towards the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. I've given you, God says, I've given you one of the most beautiful places on the earth. That's what I've done for you. I've provided a place for you to live and to enjoy and to be, and also to dress and keep it. And the God commanded man of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the, tr- uh, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
You shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. God was not, go- was not lying to them. God was telling them the truth. As a good provider, as a good father in, a, in any way, you always try to tell your, your kids, hey, if you do this, <laughs> and, and the mother tries to tell the daughters, if you do this, you might have problems. Well, God was telling Adam, look, this tree is off limits. And if you do take of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. So God made Adam first and, and put him in the garden. God, and, and he got to walk around and enjoy the beauty. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that's the name thereof. So right from the beginning, to be able to have dominion over the animals, Adam was given intelligence and given the ability to name the animals, to name all of those animals that came by him. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. Uh, I hope there wasn't quite as many of them as there is today because that would have taken a while. Days to name all of those animals and all, everything that was there. Uh, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable. All these animals didn't look, man, they don't look like me. A four-footed giant thing with a big nose on it goes, that doesn't look like me. (laughs) An elephant. Well, I don't know whether that's the real elephant or not. Well, this guy, this big, big thing, you know, big horn on it, rhinoceros tromping through the the jungle and and goes by. Oh, that's a rhinoceros. (laughs) But no... No one, none of these animals looked like, like Adam. They didn't look like him. And God saw that. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman and brought him to a man. Brought, him to, um, brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, God, and I've said this before because I've gone through this once, once before, but it was interesting in the provision that God made for, for them, this beautiful place to live, he also marries them, <laughs> doesn't he? That's what this word is here. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife and they shall be one flesh. A lot of marriage ceremonies have those very words in that ceremony. And they were both naked and the man and his wife were not ashamed. What a beautiful place. God was providing some of the most wonderful and beautiful places for them to to be. And, and, And he was... 
he was so pleased with his creation. And he was so pleased with that creation. He was pleased with Adam. He was pleased with Eve. But remember, he also told them that there was something that they should not do. And because God is a law giver, a judge, a powerful being, he also sometimes has to pronounce judgment, doesn't he? We don't like it. God has pronounced judgments on many, many things down through the years, down through the ages. If we had enough time, we could get to, to Noah and the flood, but I don't want to go quite that far. But God has made judgments that have, have been detrimental to man because man has sinned. Man has sinned. And there needed to be a judgment because you have a law-giving God who also loves his creation. And so here he says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Why she was talked, I've often wondered, and I, you, you might ponder this one, why in the world she was talking to this serpent. But he probably came across as a very benign, um, maybe even was beautiful. Who knows? But it does call him the serpent. Not yet the snake, but the serpent. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. He didn't say that. He said, You, you know, if you eat of it, you shall die. <laughs> the serpent, being very subtle, said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does not know that in the day that you eat thereof, you shall, your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree would be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband and he did eat. And their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and everything from there is history. Because God came and was looking for them and they were hiding and he took them out of of that beautiful place because he had a judgment. He had already told them, do not do this. And they did it. And sometimes in our own life, knowing the scriptures, knowing the Bible, sometimes don't we do things that we sh know we shouldn't be doing? <laughs> don't we? We do. And we know what the Bible says. Thou shalt not do such a thing. And they did it. And look at what, look at the commandment that Eve broke. She coveted this fruit. She broke that last covenant, uh, that last commandment. Thou shalt not covet. That tree belonged to God. The tree was God's. God said, of that tree you shall not eat. He said, of all the trees that are in the garden, you can eat. Everything, herbs, all of this, all this beautiful stuff that I've given you, all of this is yours. All of these animals are yours to, to have dominion over. 
and to, and to take care of and to have dominion over. But of that particular thing, no, you are not to touch. Because in the day that you do, you shall die. Well, the serpent beguiled her, and she coveted what she shouldn't have had, and she took of it, and Adam followed. And so, God being a righteous judge, a righteous God, took and, and, and took them out. He didn't kill them. He just took them out of their more beautiful surroundings because there had to be a judgment. There had to be a, a law that was broken. There was a law that was broken. There had to be a judgment. He says, um, he said, because you have hearkened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I have commanded you, saying, you shall not eat. This is verse 17. Uh, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and sorrow shall you eat of it in the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth uh, to you, and you shall eat the uh, herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it were you taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. In a lot of funerals, that's exactly what's read, because that's what happens. We go back to the dust. Might take a while, but we do go back to the dust. He called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. To Adam and also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So he had to make a sacrifice, didn't he? He had to kill something to put clothes on them. Now, they put fig leaves on themselves originally, but God clothed them. He said, The Lord said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth out of the garden of Eden to till the ground where it was. And he drove the man and he placed in the east of the garden Eden cherubims and the flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the, uh, the tree of life. That did not disappear, by the way, probably until the flood. And whoever walked by that saw that, that angel and the sword, that flaming sword. They were never able to go back to that, that place again. I think that's a, a lesson. If we turn our back on God, sometimes it's difficult to come back, isn't it? Sometimes it's difficult to, to come back, and to, to re, but we can. We, we can repent. I know we can. And we can, we can come back to God. But in this particular instance, God w would not let them come back in and partake of any of the, the wonderful things that he had provided for them in the garden. And in fact, the very thing that separated them was that tree of life, which finally is going to be a part of what we will be able to partake of because Christ came, sacrificed his life, and has given us a way to eternal life, which is what that what that pictured. Now, I'm going to read a few words here, and I want to tell you something. I want you to read verse 1 in chapter 4, and I want you to understand that the Bible does not make a mistake <laughs> when it says what it says on verse 1. Now, there's some people out there that says that the Bible says this does not say what it says. But I'm going to tell you right now that this says what it says, and this is all there is to it. 
Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Is not the seed of Satan, brethren. <laughs> they had the normal relationship that every man and wife have, and their first son was, a, was Cain. The son was the son of Adam and Eve, not of the serpent, serpent Satan. So if anybody comes and they say, oh, you know, this is a, Cain was a, the, the, you know, the son of, of Satan or something, or seed of Satan. He was the seed of Satan. No, Cain was a, a, a man who sinned. And that's all there is to it. And that's what the Bible says. And again, it bore his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And you know how sometimes there is animosity, even in families. And there was animosity here because of the differences in the two individuals. Cain and Abel were, were, were diametrically opposite. Cain was a tiller. And Abel was a shepherd. Abel was just a, a plain shepherd. And the process came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offering to the Lord. Here's another precedent that's coming forth, brethren. I want you to understand this next precedent, which is very interesting. Abel also brought the firstling of his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord respected it. Why? Because God had already told them what there was that he respects. He had already told them what um, about clean and unclean. He brought of the flock a sheep, probably of the first year, and without blemish, and offered it. And God accepted it. But he would... But Cain... Probably being, uh, uh, I don't know how you would say it, a little hard-headed or whatever, was upset because God did not accept his sacrifice, even though he was told what that sacrifice should be. Because you see what he says here. Um, but to Cain, verse 5, he did not respect. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now here's what God does. Here's what God does if you're reading your Bible. Here's how he takes care of you. You get angry, and it says you should, you know, you can anger, you can be angry and sin not. Don't let the anger go down at night. Get rid of it. But he said, why are you angry? And why is your countenance falling? He says, if you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not well, what is going on in that time? Why would we use the word sin? Did they know that it was a sin to murder? Of course they did. God told them. He said, sin lies at the door, and to you shall his desire and you, shall, and you shall rule over him. Cain talked. It was probably argued with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel 
his brother and slew him. The first murder for the first two boys born. Amazing. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And the, one of the most famous comebacks. <laughs> he says, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? One of the most... What? Am I my brother's keeper? What arrogance. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Can you imagine Cain and Abel, the creation that God had just made, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Abel is dead? And, and he, he recognizes the death because the blood that was shed is now crying out to him. And now are you cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother, blood, uh, your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall not hitherto yield to you its strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall you be in the earth. Now God... It's interesting. I don't know whether God wanted Cain to repent. That's a possibility. I'm not real sure. But it was in interesting that instead of uh, killing him instantly, he sent him off. The firstborn, of course, of Adam and Eve. Maybe that was also maybe part of it. I, I don't know. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out at this day from the face of the earth and from your face shall I be hidden. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come, come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. And the Lord said, Therefore, whosoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So, in, in, in one way it seemed like that God was trying to be merciful to Adam and Eve because it, that was their son, and, and also um, allowing him to live and sending him out. And of course, then Cain uh, has a family. And so now we have, um, in the, we have these uh, different uh, generations of Cain's family, and they, they, which is interesting if you read through it. They're almost identical in words and, uh, and, and names like... Um, the, the uh, other family that comes along with, uh, for, for Adam and Eve. So, um, I'm not going to go on any further. I think that was, was it. But I want, what I wanted to, to finish up with, I, what, what I wanted to help everyone to understand is that precedent has, has, is, is there in, in every way for all the commandments. You can dig them out. You can look and you can see. Uh, because... Even, even to the fact that um, they disobeyed God, their father, Adam and Eve went, uh, Eve went and took of the, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so consequently she dishonored her father. Was God was the only one around? He <laughs> so he, he was her father, so he he dishonored. She dishonored him, and of course then Adam decided to take it, so he dishonored. And, and so one of the commandments says, Honor your mother and your father that your days will be long upon the earth. And so you can go through, and even in these first few chapters, you can learn so much 
about God, about His mercy sometimes, about the things that he finally got tired of because man had gotten so terribly wicked that he no longer could stand it. And, and that's, that one is hard for me to, to, to understand how that only one individual in all of that population, Noah, the only individual who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. And then Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah, so we need to understand how bad it got in the days of Noah for God to get to the point where he was willing to kill everyone except for Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. Because in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah, we shall be doing the same thing that they were doing when the flood came and took them all away. You see how this balance, how even in the early things in the Bible, you learn about things that God respects and understands and how his future and how, the, how he's planning. And the good thing about God's word is that he holds out eternal life for, for all. And the, and the second resurrection, how many are going to come up that really didn't understand? How many wonderful people who, uh, well, even those that are incorrigible, <laughs> that are going to come up? And they're going to have an opportunity in the second resurrection to know what they've done. And we will be able to teach them and help them and bring them along in this way. I, I look for, I look at these, these things even early in the, the Bible and realize how God so, even from the beginning, so loved his creation and loved us and, and, and is preparing something so, so fantastic in, in the kingdom. And um, anyway, uh, learn from, from God's word. Let it be a, a light that guides you and directs you. But you can't have that light unless you open or turn it on. Let's see. In this particular thing, you've got to turn it on. In this one, you've got to open it up for the light to shine upon you.